six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. Good afternoon and welcome to a public affair. I'm your host, Catherine Garvins, sitting in today for Esti Denour. Back in the 1990s, as a newly minted Green Bay Packers quarterback named Brett Favre was taking his team to the Super Bowl, there was another drama unfolding in Green Bay. One with far-reaching consequences for the long-term health of Wisconsin residents, its waters, and its wildlife. For decades, paper companies had been dumping waste into the lower, Wisconsin, the lower Fox River, rather, a 40-mile waterway that runs out of Lake Winnebago through the cities of Nina, Menasha, Appleton, and finally through Green Bay and into Lake Michigan. The waste was rich with polychlorinated biphenyls, also known as PCBs. Identifying the paper companies as the culprit was just one step of a decades-long struggle to move forward with the successful cleanup of the site, which was only recently completed in 2020. Today on the show, I'm speaking with the co-authors of Paper Valley, The Fight for the Fox River Cleanup, a story of persistence and fortitude of a band of civil servants from federal, tribal, and local government agencies, along with local press, in the face of powerful, political, and business forces in Wisconsin. David Allen is an award-winning scientist and author. He and his team led the $10 million effort to collect and organize the information used to launch Superfund in the Lower Fox River and Bay of Green Bay. He was the leader and public face of the assessment for federal, state, and tribal agencies. David, David, welcome to A Public Affair. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Susan Campbell is an award-winning environmental journalist, author, and communications specialist. She covered the Fox River and Green Bay cleanup controversy from 1995 through 2000 as an environmental reporter for the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Campbell is also co-author of Beyond Earth Day, Fulfilling the Promise, with late um, Earth Day founder, U.S. Senator Gaylord Nelson. Susan, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Um, as you know, I've been I've been really um, thrilled with with reading your book, and I'm really excited to to speak with you guys today. Um, to start, um, I really enjoyed how you guys each kind of gave the story in the book about how you came to be in Green Bay. Uh, Davis, could you uh, David, could you give us a bit of the story of what what brought you to lead the project um, to make the case for Superfund? Sure. Uh, so back in uh, 1989, I started working at uh, the U.S. EPA in Chicago. And after a couple of years, I got an opportunity to move uh, closer to my family camp in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and closer to an agency that had uh, wildlife sanctuaries, which was U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And that was this job in Green Bay. And it was to um, help the state of Wisconsin launch a big Superfund case on the Lower Fox River. Uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service had been in contact with the state for a couple of years about doing that. And I got hired to basically lead the effort for the feds uh, to support Wisconsin. And so it was a, a great opportunity. And uh, it was a place I had heard of a lot about while at EPA because of the PCB problem. Sure. And Susan, how did you come to report on this story for the Green Bay Press-Gazette? Uh, <clears throat> not long after I arrived in Green Bay, um, uh, they resurrected the environment beat. It had been around uh, prior to me being there, and then they'd, they'd let it uh, go fallow for a bit. Um, but they knew the uh, they knew that um, Dave Allen and his team at, at Fish and Wildlife were starting to make some noise about um, the the cleanup on the Fox River, and so they they resurrected the beat. Uh, with with that story in mind, obviously I covered other stories as well. Um, but yeah, I was I was very excited. Um, uh, they offered me the opportunity to, to 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 do the environment beat, and I had been angling uh, as a re- reporter before um, on, uh, in suburban Philly. Uh, I'd been angling for science and uh, public health reporting, so this seemed a really great fit for me. So the Fox River Project is the largest PCB cleanup in Superfund history. Um, just to level set so everyone knows exactly what we're talking about, David, what are PCBs and how did they find their way into the Fox River? Sure, yeah. Uh, PCBs are an organochlorine. That means it's got hydrogen, carbon, but uh, you replace some of the hydrogens with chlorine. So you get this uh, this compound that is very durable. It's like a lot of other organochlorines like DDT and dioxins and furans. But PCBs is something that was manufactured on purpose originally for capacitors and transformers. 
But it turns out that it also was used uh, for carbonless copy paper, which was invented by NCR in 1953. And they manufactured this new carbonless copy paper, didn't have any carbon, wouldn't mess up your hands and get dirty from the carbon. Um, uh, and the problem was that the manufacturer caused the leakage of some of the PCBs uh, through their pipes into the river. And then also on top of that, the paper they made was very high quality, had very high quality fibers. So recyclers like to use it. And a bunch of paper companies on the Lower Fox River invented ways to clean up that NCR paper for reuse, but their cleanup operations sent the, the PCB waste right into the river as well. So both the manufacture and recycling of NCR paper put the PCBs into the Lower Fox River from about 1953 to about 1979. And I read, I read in your book that a single ounce of PCBs is enough to contaminate uh, thousands of Olympic-sized pools above safe levels for fish, wildlife, and people. Can you put this into context in terms of the contamination in the fox? Sure. So, uh, you know, the 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 stuff is so toxic that you don't need very much of it to cause problems. So the water quality standards, uh, most of them are right about one and one part in ten trillion. So in other words, one one part PCB per ten trillion parts water. And you can imagine, well, how much can you contaminate? How much water can you contaminate with a little bit of PCBs? So the Fox River companies put in 660,000 pounds of PCBs in the lower Fox River. And that's enough PCBs to contaminate a set of aquariums going from the earth to the moon and back 12 million times, <laughs> or enough to fill Lambeau Field 4 billion times all the way to the top of the stadium. So it's just a, it's a huge amount of PCBs because it was just a large volume plus very, very toxic at low levels. Mm -hmm. And what is the impact of PCBs um, in the Fox River and Green Valley region? And and Susan, at some point um, during our time together today, I do want to touch on the research of Theo Colburn, who I think mm -hmm. was, um, who played a, a role in this and identifying uh, the, the impact of C, uh, PCBs um, in the area. But, but just in generally, what's the impact of PCBs in the area? You want me to go first? Or, sure, go ahead. Or, yeah, okay. So yeah, I'll let her talk about Theo Colbert because <laughs> yeah. she was doing ground groundbreaking research yeah, yeah. Uh, on that. So the probably the most obvious uh, and easiest to understand problem is um, PCBs cause cancer. And um, because of that, both the state of Michigan and the state of Wisconsin issue consumption advisories on fish and waterfowl. And they do that because the levels in fish and, and waterfowl are too high to be safely eaten by people. So consumption advisories got put in place throughout the Fox River and Green Bay from the 1970s all the way to the present day, although they're dropping quickly uh, because of the cleanup. And so the fish not being safe to eat is probably the most obvious to understand, and that had to do with cancer problems. And then in addition to that, um, there's a whole bunch of subtle effects that occur um, things like reproductive effects and deformities and uh, cancer in wildlife. So there's a bunch of wildlife effects as well. And then Susan maybe can touch on some of the mm -hmm. stuff that Theo Colburn was coming up with just as we were starting this cleanup in the 1990s. Yeah, please sure. do. Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> what was interesting uh, is, is, is as all, the, all of this was gearing up, um, Theo Colborn, uh, a scientist who happens to have been from Wisconsin. Well, she she got her she got her zoology degree from uh, UW Madison, um, and uh, she was fifty eight year old grandmother, um, very hip as I describe in the book. <laughs> um, she uh, was tasked uh, right out right after graduation to um, study some of the effects, uh, some of the things that were happening with wildlife in the Great Lakes. And a lot of her research ended up uh, centering on, um, on, uh, on health effects that were happening in the Bay of Green Bay uh, and, and Lake Michigan. And she was finding wildlife uh, effects of uh, uh, you know, clubbed feet, um, missing eyes, uh, twisted bills, um, uh, birds uh, not nesting or not incubating their eggs, and chick wasting, mysterious chick wasting, where mm -hmm. baby birds just weren't thriving and they were dying. Um, and, you know, PCBs had long been, uh, and, and other org organic chlorines had long been um, associated with cancer, um, but these weren't cancer effects. And so she um, was trying to figure out what was going on here. 
and and she came up with a theory uh, about hormone disruptors, um, more formally endocrine disruptors. And she published a book in 1996 uh, called Our Soul and Future. And in it, she she talked about all the you know all these findings and and what they might what these what the implications might be for humans, mm-hmm. because we all obviously share the same air and water. Um, and so I, as a reporter, I found her uh, research particularly compelling in terms of what was happening in the in the Fox River and and its potential impacts on people um, in addition to wildlife. Great, thank you. Um, before we continue, sure. um, I, I, we are taking callers this hour, so I just want to um, give them an opportunity uh, to call in. Um, it is 1217, and you're listening to A Public Affair. I'm your host today, Catherine Garvin, sitting in for Esti Denour. We're talking this hour with David Allen and Susan Campbell. They're authors of the book Paper Valley, The Fight to Clean Up the Fox River. Um, as I said, we are taking calls this hour. You can call 608-256-2001 to speak with our receptionist, Patty. So um, I wanted to skip ahead really to a what I thought was a pivotal moment in the first part of the book. Um, oh, before before we do that, I want to touch on a little bit um, kind of the way that you introduced all of the characters and agencies and whatnot in the book. There's a large cast of characters in the book, including grumbling editors, bad coffee, governmental agencies. Um, what are these agencies and what is the relationship like between Wisconsin DNR and the federal offices involved in this case? Sure. So, um, at the sort of the top level of the sovereigns that were involved, you have the federal government as a sovereign uh, government. You have the state of Wisconsin, the state of Michigan, and three different uh, Native American tribes. So they all have constitutional authority to um, govern in some way. Then under Superfund, Superfund law gives very specific authorities to the to, to certain agencies within those sovereigns. And so the main ones are, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, which does cleanup, and then the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for, for a Great Lakes state like this uh, for doing natural resource damage assessments. Then the state of Wisconsin and the state of Michigan have both of those authorities, both cleanup and natural resource damage assessment. And then the tribes have only natural resource damage assessment. So it's, it, it is complicated. Um, but the short story is that at almost every place in the country, uh, the feds, the states, and the tribes work together on both the cleanup and the natural resource restoration at the same time, and they come up with an overall plan cooperatively to figure out what needs to be done. Now, sometimes it doesn't end up cooperative with the uh, like with the paper companies in this this uh, place, but usually they work together. For some reason, at this site, uh, the the state of Wisconsin under uh, Governor Thompson did not want Superfund to be started in this state, especially on the Fox River, which was one of his political strongholds. And so uh, after those first couple of years of talking about working together, and which is when I got hired, the state suddenly said, we've changed our mind. We don't want Superfund. We want to do this voluntarily. We want to keep Superfund out. And so we had this a bit of a crisis where we had suddenly a state all the way up to the level of the governor saying, do not use Superfund. And so they were trying to keep both EPA and Fish and Wildlife Service from launching a Superfund case. And they also didn't want the tribes to be involved. And so for about 10 years, we had a a bit of a fight between led by Fish and Wildlife Service on one side and Wisconsin DNR on the other about whether or not to use Superfund uh, and whether or not to identify responsible parties in this case. The paper companies. And um, there's a very good example. There's an instance that you write about in a book that I that I passage I'd like to you to read. Um, a meeting, I think one of the one of the first meetings with DNR secretary at the time, Buzz Basedny, Basedny, and kind of exemplifies the what you were facing in terms of the Wisconsin DNR. Can you read that for us? Sure. And this is, yeah, this is between one of the top uh, federal guys from my Fish and Wildlife office in Minnesota and the head of the Wisconsin DNR. And so this is as as he took the floor, the secretary of the DNR took the floor. Something was up. He was making too much eye contact with the senior staff, like they were about to launch a well-rehearsed plan. Then he let us have it with both barrels, angrily describing how Fish and Wildlife was fumbling every one of its programs in Wisconsin. 
One by one, Vesadney listed the programs and recounted the numerous bitter complaints from his staff and offices throughout the state. He lambasted the refuge system, the private lands program, federal law enforcement, fisheries programs, endangered species work, permit reviews, research, the contaminants program, and of course, natural resource damage assessments. It didn't seem to matter to Bassadney that we were only there to talk about the Green Bay Damage Assessment or that we had nothing to do with most of the programs Bassadney was listing. In fact, it was obvious to me that the ambush was the point. Bassadney wanted to scare my leaders right out of the state. Bassadney's voice was artificially harsh and his delivery quick, as if to keep us silent and off balance. He paused just long enough at times to glance at his staff, who smiled knowingly and chuckled right on cue. It was a bizarre performance shattering the norms that usually guide high-level interactions between agencies, particularly agencies that share environmental purposes and mandates. And so it was a huge surprise for us. Yeah, yeah, it sounded like it. It, it was just it was very dramatically drawn in the book. And and you, how did that seal the fate, as you mentioned, of the Fox River cleanup for years to come? Well, um, DNR took a position that no. Uh, no agency could start a Superfund project in the state of Wisconsin without permission from the DNR, and that they weren't going to give any permission uh, un until their voluntary process had run the course. And of course, the implications of that, if the federal government were to accept that position, it would mean that the federal government couldn't start Superfund projects anywhere in the country without state permission. And um, this seemed to us ludicrous. Uh, and more importantly, it seemed ludicrous to every attorney in the U.S. Department of Justice and the U.S. Department of Interior and the U.S. Department of Commerce. And so this position by the state actually unified um, federal agencies across the entire country, offices across the entire country, that we absolutely had to move forward. Um, and in a way, it was the opposite effect of what they intended. They wanted to stop us. It actually accelerated the, the case and, and really catapulted it into national prominence. Right. And Susan, you covered the story, obviously, as, as a local reporter for the Green Bay Press-Gazette. So you had to get to know all of these players in Green Bay and the region. What was what was the work that you were doing during this time? Uh, it was, you're right, it was, it was getting to know a lot of the players. And in the beginning, that was a, a pretty heavy lift, given all the, um, the federal agencies and the state agencies and the tribal uh, tribes that were involved, um, and then just getting to know the the science of PCBs and the the effects on wildlife, the effects on people. Um, it was it was it was a big case to cover. I, I I also wanted to mention Dave was just talking about um, how it was attracting national attention, um, and that was another facet of the story that that I covered that be, became a, a a pretty big part of it. Um, uh, Green Bay, um, the Fox River became uh, the poster child for uh, federal uh, reauthorization of the Superfund law at around the same time that um, that uh, efforts to propose listing the, the, the Fox River as a cleanup site under Superfund um, were underway. And so there was interference, um, not just from the upper levels of Wisconsin, but also from, uh, from Washington, D.C. Um, and we had... Uh, 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 congressman um, out of New York attaching riders uh, that would that would affect, uh, uh, I believe it was dredging nationwide um, until uh, until PCBs in, until PCB dredging could be studied, uh, and it would it would have delayed any progress on the Fox until until that that work had been done. Um, and there were uh, other other attempts to uh, to 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 really delay the project here in hopes that it would, it would have impacts there. And, and there was also, um, uh, the, you may have heard the, the uh, Hudson River in, in, in New York is also contaminated with PCBs. And, and GE, which is responsible for the PCBs in the Hudson River, uh, was very closely watching what was happening mm. with the Fox River, which was a little bit ahead of them on, on, this, on this type of cleanup. And, uh, and also... Uh, was involved in, um, you know, what was happening here, and and the 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 paper mills, the paper companies that were responsible for the PCBs in 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 the Fox River Valley uh, at one point had a had a consultant who was also working on um, on uh, the GE's case in mm. in uh, in 
in New York. So there was there was some overlap there. So watching the the interplay between the different agencies and then what was happening in DC was 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 interesting and, and quite yeah. a lot to keep keep track of. Yeah. And you you write pretty vividly in the book about your first impressions of the of working with fish and wildlife in Wisconsin, and um, I'd I'd like you to read um, about kind of your first uh, meeting there, um, if you could please, starting on page ninety four. Sure, sure. I I I kind of enjoy this too. So. I know, I know. It's um, it's such yeah, a great this- passage. It's yeah, my favorite yeah, passage yeah. in the book. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, and it's it, it, and he's actually pretty good about hearing me take him down <laughs> when I meet him. Um, it says a lot about Dave. So um, anyway, so it's called um, Super Fund Sizing Up the Super Fund Opponents, and uh, uh, again, it's it's uh, just a little bit of context here. As I had been uh, told by my predecessor in the in the beat at um, the Press Gazette that this big case was coming and that I was going to be covering it and that I was going to be meeting um, David Allen and his team at, at U.S. Fish and Wildlife. So uh, here we go. Uh, as soon as he learned I was the paper's new environmental reporter. Actually, am I starting at the right place? Um, I said um, on I page 94, starting with David, or just read whichever, Susan, why don't you just go ahead and read whichever one you think is most um, okay, yeah, representative. I, I had That's it marked my... here, yeah. Um, as soon as you learned I was the paper's new environmental reporter, the reporter who had trailblazed the position years earlier was eager to fill me in on the story. He said would come to define the beat. He'd talk excitedly about the backstory behind the Fox River's PCB problem and the public's need to know. The stories were peppered with acronyms that made my head spin, PRPs, NRDA, RIFS, and he would rattle off the names of the many federal and state agencies on the case. The story was both tantalizing and overwhelming. I was hoping it could simmer just a little more. The story couldn't wait, however. Events were happening behind the scenes, and the, and the newspaper already needed to play catch-up. The local media was largely ignoring the cleanup. When it wasn't, the press was being hand-fed stories about continued cooperation through DNRs and the Paper Mills Fox River Coalition and their progress toward a voluntary settlement to address the Fox River's PCB contamination. In October 1996, I visited the agency at the center of the controversy the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I steeled myself for the visit. These were the federal officials who were putting so much pressure on Fort Howard and the other paper mills. My colleague had described to me how, for at least the last two years, the agency had been queuing up its federal authority to push DNR to devise a cleanup plan for the Fox River in Green Bay. And he told me of David Allen, the point person at Fish and Wildlife who was making things happen. These folks were bound to be intimidating. As I drove up to the Fish and Wildlife office, though, I relaxed a bit. It was an exceptionally unremarkable building, a small single-story structure that looked like a standard-issue post office set off by itself on a lonely road in an equally unremarkable part of town. I recognized a tinge of disappointment at the thought that the protagonists in this story might not be a match for the suit-and-tie executives at the paper mills. I shrugged it off. You can't judge a building by its exterior. As I crossed the threshold, the disappointment returned. The place was even more dismal inside. The supervisor was the first to greet me. She was preoccupied, but made an effort to be pleasant as she showed me around the building. She didn't seem to have much time or interest in a reporter, at least today. David Allen and Ken Stromberg emerged to usher me into a meeting room, or more accurately, an attached garage into which the office's contents were slowly oozing. The dark, cluttered space housed a mishmash of service boats, file cabinets, and paperwork scattered alongside tables for dissecting fish and birds. Okay. My host my host pulled out an uncomfortable metal folding chair and apologetically offered a styrofoam cup of stale, lukewarm coffee. It's really bad, Ellen warned. I sipped it. It was undrinkable. Without question, the worst coffee I'd ever encountered, and I drank bad coffee from the office coffee machine daily. At least Alan could be trusted at that point. on that point. I set my cup on the floor as there was no clear surface to set it on. In my simple skirt, sweater, and worn flats, I suddenly felt overdressed in this shabby place and now had more than a creeping sense that this might not shape up to be the big story I'd envisioned. <laughs> David Allen, sitting across from me, didn't quite look the part either. He was earnest, young, blue-eyed, and fresh-faced, like a former Boy Scout. Probably a former Eagle Scout, I thought, as I observed him. 
He didn't fit the mold of a typical bureaucrat in a government job, nor that of a fiery, tenacious prosecutor like the ones I'd covered as a court reporter back in suburban Philly. Bespectacled and studious looking, Allen seemed to fit better on a college campus than across the table from corporate executives and agency brass. But when he talked, he spoke articulately and passionately in long streaming sentences with perfect recall of precise facts, dates, and statistics, barely pausing to take a breath. He seemed to possess both an impatience with a world that hadn't quite caught up with him and an abiding desire to bring that world up to speed. I would learn over time it was this latter quality that would define our relationship and form the basis of the Green Bay story the public would come to know. Thank you. Sure. Um, it is now 1232 and you're listening to A Public Affair. I'm your host, Catherine Garvins. We're talking this hour with David Allen and Susan Campbell. They're authors of the book Paper Valley, Fight for the Cleanup of the Wisconsin River. We are taking your calls this hour, so if you would like to call 608-256-2001 and speak with our receptionist, Patty, she'll make sure that you get through to the studio. Um, so, so Susan, I want to continue with you and talk about um, this idea of getting to know the 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 players um, on the local level. You also had to get to know those Superfund opponents, such as the uh, paper companies and the local activist um, in the area. Um, can you talk about them and then how the locals were reacting to your reporting? Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think it is it's very important to talk about the environmental community because mm-hmm. they were um, very a, a very active part uh, in 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 helping uh, this site, helping progress happen on this site. They had been studying um, uh, and 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 being active on, on the Fox River cleanup long before I got there and, and before David got there, and they'd been pushing for for, for progress there. Um, and they they became very important um, people that I talked to on the story, and and they uh, it was interesting. Um, in between Green Bay and and uh, Paper Valley, which is really it's kind of an informal name, is really the real name is uh, the Fox River Valley. Um, there was a bit of a divide uh, between the populations in Green Bay and and in the Fox River Valley. Uh, Green Bay, the community is is situated uh, downriver from where all the PCBs were flowing to Green Bay. So, um, in the sediment of the river running through this community um, was the vast majority of the PCBs that were making their way out to the bay. Uh, so you had a very active community that was, by and large, mostly interested in seeing those taken out of the river. Um, although there were also quite a number of, 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 of paper mills in Green Bay too. Down or upriver in the Fox River Valley, um, uh, more paper mills and, 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 um, more more paper more paper mill jobs mm-hmm. uh, and so there was uh, more I would say more sympathy there uh, for or more more sympathy for the paper companies and for avoiding Superfund so mm-hmm. obviously you had a mix up and down the river but it, it 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 was in in my backyard and in my newspaper's backyard there was a a, a lot of concern about what's happening in the bay and and in the river sure so. so. So, David, can you tell me about your best meeting ever? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Short yeah. question. Um, so this is after about five years of working um, on the site. Uh, we had been trying to build administrative uh, leverage within my own agency at U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And we had brought in the U.S. Department of Justice, who was very, very interested in the case. But we both realized, both Fish and Wildlife and Justice realized that we were potentially going to be in trouble if we couldn't bring in the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, because the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is the most powerful of the federal agencies for doing Superfund cleanups. They have more authority, more money, uh, and more experience with doing cleanups than Fish and Wildlife Service did. And so we had been working for uh, several years to try to convince EPA to join us. But the problem was the governor made it clear that he did not want Superfund at the site. And EPA at the national level had promised during uh, their reauthorization debates about Superfund and about their budget talks, the, the head of the whole agency had promised they would never overrule a governor 
at a Superfund site. In other words, if a governor said, don't do Superfund here, EPA promised they would never force it. And so here was a case where Fish and Wildlife said, please join us and do Superfund. And the governor said, not now, not here. And so we we ended up uh, pressuring EPA, both Justice and Fish and Wildlife, and we ended up in this giant meeting down in Chicago with the head of the agency down there and the head of our agency at Fish and Wildlife. And my my leader at Fish and Wildlife basically uh, told a story to his counterpart um, in which he basically said, we had stolen EPA's truck, meaning Superfund was EPA's truck. He had seen it idling on the road, had stolen that truck, and he was going to keep driving it, whether they joined us or not. But he was worried we were going to crash the truck if he didn't get in and drive. It was a hilarious story because uh, it's not one that he had rehearsed. It's not one he told us he was going to do. There were dozens and dozens of officials in this meeting. And this guy just told this allegorical story. But it did the trick. It, it actually scared EPA enough that we really were going to just keep driving that truck down the road that they should join. And they did. In the next uh, several months, they made the decision to join Superfund so that we could then start working on getting Wisconsin to join us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if I remember correctly, that was, as you say, when the the announcement is made that the Fox River would be listed as a Superfund site. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Okay. And um, so what was, uh, Susan, you have a portion of the book where you're talking about what was going on in Washington at that time with some of the... Um, U.S. representatives and senators being active um, in the case. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. Um, and that, that again, kind of references that time where there was this, this tension about whether um, Superfund, the Superfund law should be reauthorized. And there was a, a big, uh, quite a strong sentiment, um, especially among Republicans in the country at that time, that uh, you know, federal government should stay out of the state's business. Um, and so Superfund was was a great example um, for many that the, here you've got the federal government um, meddling in, in what states should be doing in their own backyards. Um, and so here with uh, in, in Wisconsin, where you had a governor who had basically st- stood up and said, we don't want the, the, the federal government coming in here and meddling in our own business. Um, in fact, I, I think we have a quote in there with Tommy Thompson uh, talking to the Wisconsin Paper Council in 1997, saying um, uh, those brilliant socialists in D.C. want to come in and screw up the works. Um, so that was the, the sentiment. Um, but, yeah, you had uh, quite a bit of um, uh, uh, effort going on in D.C. to uh, to, to, to show that, that here's this battle going on in Wisconsin and, and, and you've got the federal government trying to potentially foist itself upon um, uh, upon upon a governor and and a state DNR here and mm-hmm. trying to put a stop to that mm-hmm. so um, the the uh, announcement that Fox River would be listed as a Superfund site in itself was was a real victory um, I think you would you would agree in in the case and and celebrate it as such um, but uh, so the case was in, hand, in the hands of the Fed, but still you were absolutely nowhere near the end um, of this. And I'd like you just to both kind of walk me through um, how things unfolded from that time. I know it's a lot. It's several years worth of work. Um, but I know that um, during this time you started to open the whole process to uh, public scrutiny. Um, there's a... Uh, I remember a, a public information meeting at Kimberly and um, kind of the role of the environmental group started to um, to accelerate, I think. So can you guys just talk through that period of time after that pivotal meeting and um, take us through it? Yeah. The, so the first thing I would say is uh, when EPA announced that they were going to go forward with Superfund, it was a, it was seen as a victory by the feds and by the tribes and by the environmental groups, but it was not seen as a victory by the state of Wisconsin. The state of Wisconsin was furious. The governor was furious. The leadership of the Wisconsin DNR was furious. And even some of the staff at the DNR were were furious. And so it set up a a multi-year, basically a four-year period where um, it was almost as if we were having a quiet behind the scenes war between the federal government and the state government. Now, um, on the ground, the state we the state took the lead for knitting together the details, the technical details. 
but they were still very upset about the intrusion of the federal government. And so we that those four years were probably the, the four most difficult years of my career because I've never before or since seen a government uh, go on such an attack against another federal agency trying to do the same thing. Um, it took those four years and public pressure um, in order to get uh, DNR to change their mind. And it took uh, Governor Thompson leaving the state and Secretary Meyer not being reappointed before we finally all got together in 2001. So it, I think it was both a, an administrative legal battle behind the scenes and very much, as you say, and I'll let Susan speak to this, uh, a groundswell of support. Um, as people became more and more used to the idea of Superfund um, in the community. Yeah, and Susan, we'll, we'll pick that up once more. I'm going to give our um, folks an opportunity to call in. It is 1242, and you're listening to A Public Affair. I'm your host, Catherine Garvins, sitting in for Esty Denour. I'm talking this hour with David Allen and Susan Campbell. They're authors of the book Paper Valley, The Fight for the Cleanup of the Fox River. We are taking your calls this hour. If you would like to speak with us and to my guests, uh, please call 608-256-2001 and ask for Patty. She'll pick up the phone. Okay, Susan, please go ahead. Uh, yeah, so um, from the perspective of, of, of what I was covering at that time, um, there, was, there was all this debate about, um, about the, the, the impacts of PCBs. And, um, and meanwhile, you, you, we, had a, a, we were doing stories about the fact that there were a number of subsistence fishermen, um, in particular the, the Hmong community in Green Bay, uh, who who were not um, paying attention to the fish advisories? They knew they were there. You know, they were not scoff laws. Um, upon talking with them and and uh, you know spending time with them while they're fishing, um, it it was clear that they they didn't understand the fish advisories. The, the English was not their native tongue. That many of them spoke poor English, um, and they had no word in their native Loatian uh, language that got at this concept of invisible contaminants and they didn't have weren't aware of that kind of pollution back in there in, in in laos so they looked at the water and they told me the water is clean you know the, the, the fish are clean and they they didn't see a problem with it so they were well all this debate is raging about should the river be clean should it be dredged you know how bad are pcbs every day you had subsistence fishermen going down to the waterfront, pulling out contaminated fish and taking it home to their wives and children to eat. Um, so that was a that was a pretty powerful story that was going on at the time. Um, and and it that plus I think a lot of the politics too really helped to galvanize a lot of public support for the cleanup. Um, EPA uh, reported that once they when they were in run up run in the run up to, to to propose listing the Fox River as a Superfund site, they had more public comment um, uh, on on the proposed listing than ever before on any other site in history that had been proposed for Superfund. Mm -hmm. um, and the interesting thing about it is, uh, and and by the way, there were there were also a lot of comments against it, so it wasn't all positive. But the, the preponderance of the comments was that they were they were positive. Um, but the 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 thing about it, it it was not it's not meant to be a, a popularity contest. When Superfund opened it up, they opened it up for technical comments from people who would have technical expertise on river cleanups and whether it should be done. But but the public on both sides uh, and and people supporting the paper companies. Uh, took this as a, as a time to weigh in with personal reasons for why it should or should not be mm -hmm. listed. Um, and that speaks to the the really divisive nature of, of this particular project at that particular time. And Susan, I think you mentioned in the book that um, it was around this time that um, you started to get more page one exposure on this story within the Press Gazette um, yeah. as you've been competing with the Green Bay Packers. But so tell me a little bit about how that went on in the newsroom. Yeah, I mean, you, you can imagine um, here you are in Titletown, uh, Green Bay Press Gazette, yeah. part of part of part of part of Packers land. Uh, uh, being a, a nerdy environmental reporter trying to get some traction with your stories on the front page. And for a while, it was a real uphill battle. 
Um, and and I remember, I remember. It, and it, by the way, this was the the time of the emerging Brett Favre. Right. Um, he had we both came to Green Bay around the same time. He got a lot more publicity than I did, <laughs> or David. Um, but but it, you know, it was it was interesting that over time, as this as this PCB start uh, story started to build, and this this momentum that David and his team were were building, um, and with the other federal agencies and the tribes. It, it, it became a, a story and the and the newspaper to its credit um press gazette in particular uh gave it a lot of ink um mm-hmm. they they were very uh even though they have had a lot of uh, uh skin in the game in terms of some of their major advertisers the paper companies were right in their own backyard um, they also had the, the the problem right in their own backyard and they they basically cut me loose on the story um, and and just said report it to the best of your ability and they wrote editorials and cartoons mm-hmm. and we wrote series and I think that really also helped to 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 bring the community behind mm-hmm. this 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 giant project and yes we were on the front page with the Fox River stories right up there with with, with the Green Bay Packers right. which is right. you know something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, David, why don't you bring us up to the point? Um, I, I understand that the dredging to eliminate the contaminated sediment started in 1999. Can you kind of bring us up to that point as to um, what finally got that work going on the Fox? Yeah, there were um, two uh, demonstration projects that were launched, um, one by the governmental agencies, by Wisconsin DNR and EPA, using money from the Great Lakes National Program Office of EPA and the Wisconsin DNR uh, on the upper river, uh, deposit in up in the near, near in the Fox Valley. Um, and that was to demonstrate the, uh, how well you could do what's called precision hydraulic dredging. In other words, going in right where the PCBs are and bringing out just that sediment without spreading it. Um, and that was a very successful project that got done in a couple of years, uh, 1998, 1999. And then there was a second demonstration project in the lower river next to Fort Howard called SMU 5657. And that was funded uh, by the paper companies um, through a, an agreement between the state and the paper companies in 1997. Uh, and the problem with that one was um, it the there were mixed motives, right? So the Wisconsin DNR wanted to show that dredging could be effective. But the paper companies who were funding that one and funding all of the work wanted to show that dredging wasn't effective. And so what ended up happening down there was uh, the paper companies designed a project that was guaranteed to run out of money halfway through the project, which is a disaster. It's an environmental disaster. You take all the cleaner sediments off the top, you leave the much more exposed contaminants below, um, and then they were out of money. And so that required EPA to jump in and do an emergency cleanup uh, to save the day. And and that's what they did. They came in and did an emergency cleanup mm-hmm. and di- and saved the day. So those were the two early projects that were done on dredging. And then it was a few years later that the huge Superfund projects themselves began in, in 2004. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so as late as 2000. Okay. Um, so what is, um, what is the state of the site today? Um, what's going on there now? Or well, what's, it's what's a the huge victory. Of, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. For everybody, um, the there's been six and a half million cubic yards dredged out of the lower Fox River. It's the most uh, PCB dredging that's ever been done anywhere in the world. It's the biggest river cleanup in history. That's enough sediment to fill the stadium at Lambeau Field six times to the rim. It's in, And it's all been put in local landfills. So um, that's a great victory. There's another thousand acres that were capped on top of that to keep any remaining PCBs from getting into the um, organisms. And then there's been on top of all that, another hundred million dollars of environmental restoration all around the Bay. All of this done by the paper companies um, under Superfund. So uh, it's all done, all the work is done. Mm-hmm. What's being done now is just monitoring of the site to see how the PCB levels are coming down in fish, wildlife, water, and sediments. Excellent. Well, we do have a caller on the line. Um... Catherine, I hear you grew up near the Fox River. What's your question? I have. Um, here, here you're running out of time. First of all, thank you for writing this book. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, 
I'm familiar with uh, the, the uh, river right along the Kakana area and Filmony Pulp and Paper Company, Snow Harm Hammer Mill. But when my, my big thing is, um, is there in the book, or a book too, um, any charts or anything that kind of superimposes the, the, um, the impact on, like, um, with our bodies that we grew up along there, like with the benzene, not just PCBs, but the benzene, the DET that was around back then, mercury, you know, um, and how that if affects our our body, because there's different parts of the Midwest that um, has certain chemicals that come up um, in our tissues and things like that. And I was just curious um, if there's anything in there like that um, related to that kind of overlap. Because I remember, I remember the paint on our car was just chewed off in like one day oh. from the stuff that falls from. The, the paper company. Yeah, yeah. And I remember a cat running across the totally top of the water, <laughs> the foam and all. Yeah, so See, there is uh, the the book itself does not have a lot of information about the other contaminants, but we have a uh, a website papervalley.org that has all the citation, not most of the citations in the book, and a bunch of supporting information, including all of the documents that the government's put together for the cleanup um, and monitoring. And so they did in fact monitor for all the other chemicals. And you can, if you want to dive into those documents, you can download them all right on that website, papervalley.org. And you can see uh, what other contaminants were present. And of course, those got cleaned up at the same time with the dredging project. And it looks like we have another caller. Carl, go ahead. Okay, my great show. I appreciate the uh, insider. I'm definitely going to read the book. Uh, my question is about uh, these companies. Every time there's like a major battle that goes on for years and years, and finally somehow a, a successful story is told, and it seems like they, they like to take the credit for that despite having, you know, caused it and mostly pr tried to prevent it. And did that happen in this case? And uh, are, there, are there other ongoing side issues that continue to this day because it seems like the battle really never ends mm. yeah so i mean that's a right so they did fight uh tooth and nail to to uh control the cleanup as much as they could and so there is a big battle and that always happens right if you're going to spend a billion dollars of someone else's money they're going to want to um slow you down and keep you under control if they can but on the other hand, these companies are, uh, they're engineering marvels. They invented a lot of stuff uh, about paper making. And they, when they turned their engineers loose on the cleanup, the same thing happened. They did, so once they finally lost in court and knew they had to pay it and the money was now gonna be paid, they turned their uh, engineers loose and they did a fantastic job. So in cooperation with EPA and DNR, engineers from both the agencies and the paper companies got together and they did a marvelous job. It's a great cleanup and it was funded by the paper companies. Now they only did it because we beat them in court. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, but you have to give them credit, even though they also um, fought the good fight uh, for those 20 years. Great. Thanks Carl for that question. So just we're in the last few minutes, I guess, here of our program. So can David and Susan, can you each address like how this case has reverberated in other areas where local agencies are trying to hold businesses accountable for the pollution they generate? And then from a reporting standpoint, standpoint um, what are the takeaways for for coverage in cases like this and community activism? Well, for me, the, the most important thing about the Fox River case, uh, even more important than the cleanup itself, is the fact that it shows that ordinary civil servants and ordinary citizens can make sense of the facts, make sense of the law, make sense of their own institutions and require that the law be followed. Um, it, and this goes beyond even environmental cases. I think that the fact that we were able to succeed here means that we can succeed elsewhere, other kinds of environmental cases, but also even beyond that. And one last thing I'll say before turning it over to Susan is uh, when the government wins a case like this, it also puts the rest of the country on notice. Every other polluter, every other bank, every other real estate agent knows that they have to take Superfund liability seriously. And so I think winning this case means that there will be less people doing these kinds of problems in the future. Good point. Susan? 
and yeah, it, for for local journalists, for local journalism, I, this is very much a, a story of of local journalism uh, covering a very big issue in their backyard. Um, and it it wasn't just the Press Gazette; it was it was many other newspaper reporters and and TV and and radio also covered the case, and and all all of them were needed. Um, and back then, I mean, we were only talking you know, 20, 25 years ago, um, there, there were a lot more reporters, a lot more local reporters uh, who had time um, mm-hmm. and, and, and news organizations that had the time and the money and the resources to have reporters cover this story. And, and um, it, it really did involving the public that much and, and galvanizing the public as it did and, and telling the story made a big difference in terms of how this story has turned out. Um, in in Green Bay, in Green Bay, and in and in the Fox River Valley, and you know, I, I think I think um, there's an important lesson there for for local journalism, uh, journalism and and uh, local press, and I, I I think there's also a very good story there that um, that people should take heart in that mm-hmm. that that these seemingly intractable environmental issues, where there's a lot of foot dragging and a lot of naysaying and a lot of money. Um, and a lot of uh, political naysaying um, over a long timeline and a lot of effort um, from the community and, and, and regulators wielding the right tools and, and the press, mm-hmm. um, there can be a good outcome. And, and I think that's, uh, that's an inspiring takeaway for, for anybody, whether you're in the media or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an inspiring takeaway. And it's also just a really, really good read. I mean, on, on for its own sake, I think so. Um, is there anything else that we haven't touched on, either of you that you think is um, something that folks should know either about the cleanup or about your book? Well, again, I just, uh, I, I'm really so appreciative to hear comments that it's readable. We really worked hard to try to make this not a highly technical, geeky uh, work. We tried to make it a story that would be fun to read, even if these aren't the normal things you care about. So I'm very pleased to hear you say that you, you liked reading it. Yep. Great. And I would I would echo that. So <laughs> thank okay. you. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming up on just a minute here. Um, so I have been speaking with um, David Allen and Susan Campbell. They're the authors of the book Paper Valley, The Fight for Cleanup of the, of the Fox River. The book tells a story of a decades-long struggle that resulted in the paper mills paying for the largest PCB cleanup in Superfund history in the Fox River and Bay of Green Bay. Uh, David and Susan, thank you so much for joining me and for all your good work, not only on this book, but uh, during the cleanup of the Fox. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. You have been listening to A Public Affair. I've been your host, Catherine Garvins, sitting in today for Esti Denour. Thanks to our callers this hour. Thanks to our producer and engineer, Jade Isiri Ramos, our news director, Charlie Pittman, and our receptionist, Patty. Have a great day. <laughs>